0: Lima Charlie, loud and clear. Lima Charlie, 크고 분명하게.
1: Lima Charlie,
0: gronka iasna.
1: Lima Charlie, wahidin wam. Lima Charlie, OFO, chingchu, ningbai.
0: Uru akilaka de aru.
1: Sahad ke bahane. Light and dialect.
0: Alto e claro. Eta, tvåa, trea, adam ett, kom. You're listening to Lima Charlie News. Can you hear me? Can you hear me? I see the bumps going on the machine. Big bumps, small bumps, all sorts of bumps. Good size of bumps. We got we got some bumps, and I think uh, I think we're officially we're officially live here on uh, November nineteenth, yep, two thousand eighteen at twenty one forty two local time in Boston, Massachusetts. This is the first episode of new podcast brought to you by uh, Lima Charlie News. We are OFP which stands for own, f- <laughs> own fucking program, for, for those of you who are not familiar. Um, my name is Zach. Uh, I am one of the hosts of the show with uh, my compatriot Dylan, who will be allowed to speak when I point at him, which is not yet. Don't speak. I am still speaking. Uh, a bit about me, a former Marine Corps officer, five years in the service, two tours in Iraq, one in Afghanistan. I work in the uh, defense, aerospace and defense field and generally like talking about defense-related topics, and other silly shit in the world. Dylan, I'm now pointing at you. You can speak.
1: I also work in the aerospace and defense field. That's where I met this gentleman. Uh,
0: Unfortunately, I can't advertise
1: myself as a Marine Corps veteran or anything like that. I simply have worked in industry for my whole career, so I know a thing or two, uh, but have never pulled a trigger at anyone on the other side of the aisle.
0: Well, you just never done it in a war zone, but I've heard some stories of you in the streets that are pretty gnarly. Correct, right. Okay, fair enough. Well, hey, welcome to the show. We hope you like it. Stand by, buckle up all the uh, appropriate caveats, and let's jump right
1: in.
0: All right, so let's, uh, let's start off with some headlines tonight, some headlines. A couple things that maybe aren't making quite as much news as they should be. Uh, the first one's a pretty big deal, pretty interesting, um, perhaps controversial depending on, on your view of the world. Um, the first woman passes the Special Forces Assessment and Selection. So my take on this is pretty straightforward. Regardless of whether she makes it through Q School, which is the next phase, the qual- qualification school, I believe is what it is, I think it's like a total, it's a two year pipeline. So, this is to be a Green Beret. Regardless of how far she makes it from here, she showed up to SFAS. I never fucking raised my hand to go do any special forces shit. Like, I was just like, I'm not even going to try. So, the fact that she tried, she showed up and she passed and she's going to Q school already has her carrying a set of bull balls way bigger than mine. So, you know, kudos to this female soldier. I don't know. They haven't released her name yet, but um, she's out there. She's doing it.
1: She is, she is, and and has any uh, females passed the MARSOC courses or anything like that, uh, Mr. Marine?
0: I doubt it, no? uh, but not because it's any harder. I mean, the the MARSOC, whatever their Special Forces Assessment Selection School was, for the longest time at least was run by the Army anyway when they were standing it up, but um, there is a there is a female, there is a, the first female uh, Marine infantry officer who made it through IOC. She's out there. She's fighting the fight, so, you know— they didn't, from what I understand, they didn't uh, moderate the course at all. For her. she, she went out and trucked it, and there are guys who dropped. So, kudos to her too. So that's that's the first headline. I don't really think that's getting enough press, but pretty big deal. Uh, you could have our first uh, GI Jane here in a couple of years if she can make it through the rest of the course. So, her presence makes us all vulnerable. I don't want you learning that inconvenient fact under fire, Master Chief, Lieutenant. Seek life elsewhere. Suck my dick. Next topic.
1: All right. Next headline is uh, from our friends at the New York Post. Uh, headline reads Michael Avenatti's law practice evicted from offices. Uh, So his longtime Michael Avenatti, the uh, lawyer for Stormy Daniels, the person that might or might not have hooked up with President Trump once upon a time, she described Uh, his pecker as a toadstool. Correct, right. Well, she knew the size. She knew what it looked like.
0: (laughs) I think we know she did.
1: Uh, So his longtime firm Egan Avenatti uh, skipped four months of rent. Uh, totaling $213,000 in
0: Los Angeles. <laughs> I would love to skip rent. So, right. Well,
1: four months to 213000 is a bill to be paid. Uh, so Avenatti had requested a reprieve, uh, granted him a delay until this past Friday's hearing, so almost a week ago today, but he didn't show up for that one either, so he got kicked out. Who's that? It's my landlord,
0: Pearl. My rent. Oh, I'm getting out of here, man. No, She's no, no, nasty. No, please, I need to say this is gonna be ugly. Hi, Pearl. Where's You don't have to raise your voice. You pay. You. I can
1: give you half. You pay no. Hey, don't talk to me like that, okay? I'm just look. I. T- I thought I was clear in
0: my email that I needed a couple weeks.
1: I worked too hard.
0: Can I just get two more weeks? But lawyers don't... I mean, he should... Wait, I'm confused. I thought we were going to be talking about the fact that Avenatti was just accused of like beating up an ex-wife or something.
1: That's still under question, too, but he truly did get kicked out of this office. Okay,
0: so that's one's a fact and the other is...
1: Still, still under debate, right? Yeah, he he yeah. definitely he was booked on a felony domestic violence charge. He was later released that evening after posting fifty thousand dollars bond. He's vehemently denied the allegations and said that this Jacob Wool guy, that this this Trump Twitter guy, is essentially trying to out him
0: for domestic violence. Ugh, <laughs> uh, America, right now.
1: Yeah, again, an online uh, star.
0: Courtesy of uh, President Trump and then a porn star lawyer
1: just going back and forth with each other. So that's how things operate here in twenty
0: eighteen. Yeah. I was, I was gonna say this is this is the new world we live in. Just <laughs> oh Christ. Oh hey, right on the button on the timer. Stop. We're trying to keep it, we're trying to keep our uh, our chit chat banner here to a controlled time length lest we just bore you with hours of content that really aren't that valuable. And as you reset this timer, uh, you're using your arm. Tell me more about someone's arm. Yes. So what a great lead, and it's like you've been doing this before. Next headline, great, well, I don't know if great's the right word, fascinating, I'll use, stolen valor story. Now, as a vet, I always get a real kick out of the stolen valor stories because most of the time it's a guy, and that guy is wearing, like, mixed-matched uniforms and, like, uh, mixed He's he you know he looks like he's thirty five and he's wearing like a World War II campaign ribbon with like jump wings and it just doesn't make sense and it's kind of sad and funny. So a really interesting stolen valor case just came up. A guy by the name of Todd LeTourette, uh who most recently appeared in season four of uh, Breaking Bad, uh, and oh, actually, excuse me, from the prequel series, so Better Call Saul, told Albuquerque's KOBF. K.O.B. 4, that he sawed off and cauterized his arm 17 years ago out of desperation to earn more acting roles. So this guy is insane, but it gets better. He ended up using this as a way to jump off to tell people that he lost it while he was, I think, in Afghanistan. So he was going around telling people that he was a combat vet who had lost his arm in Afghanistan. Now, here's my feeling on this. If you're committed enough to chop off your own arm... To say you were a bad man of jam overseas, I'm going to give you a little bit of valor. I'm going to give you a little bit of valor. You know what? I'm not going to give you all the valor, but you're crazy and you're committed. I mean, so if you get your arm blown off by surprise, that's a shocking
1: experience. No doubt about experience. it. But if you sit down and you decide, well, I'm going to do this myself, yeah. isn't that even
0: more shocking to go through? It's very shocking. I mean, obviously, this is all. T- this guy's insane. I've never heard. Of, I've never heard a "stolen valor" story even close to this. Of people like hacking off their own limbs. To have be you watched Better Call Saul? Great program. Oh, really? Oh, outstanding.
1: I watched like three and a half episodes, and that was it for me.
0: You know why? It's a slow-building drama, and you're a simpleton who needs like immediate action.
1: Slow-building, and then I needed to see an arm cut off, which this guy could have advertised <laughs> to
0: us, but he did not. He could have. He could have. And I didn't even set the timer that time, so I fucked that up. Well, again.
1: Perfect. Let's start again. So the next one, one, right? So uh, recent news, uh, our friends at Amazon, Jeff Bezos himself, uh, picked a new location for HQ2, two locations, but picked New York City and uh, Washington, D.C., the metro area, if you will, unsurprising to anyone that thought about this. But in the uh, the debut of Amazon's announcement, it said, quote, National Landing is an urban community in northern Virginia located less than three miles from downtown Washington, D.C. When further detail was provided about where this community was in Northern Virginia, it quickly became apparent that this was simply the territory known as Crystal City. Heard of it. Amazon just rebranded territory. They chose a city and they said, we are making up a new name.
0: I would say that would make Jeff Bezos like the 21st century imperialist. Like, I can't, love I, it. I cannot wait
1: to, while President Trump is still in the White House, that he just renames the White House.
0: I mean, take it like this. Trump bought... Trump bought the old post office building to make that. What is I've never been in it, but location wise in the outsides, a beautiful building could be a nice hotel right across the street, right right across the street from the White House, essentially. Right. So he's got his Trump building there. Jeff Bezos is like, yeah, fuck that. I'm going to I'm going to just rename city blocks in your town. In your town. Hey, man,
1: he's, he's worth like 100 times what Donald Trump's worth, so
0: he can do these sorts of things with that sort of money. Did you just get that statistic from the SNL sketch? No, did not. Yeah, you did.
1: I, I did not. I, I truly am <laughs> only looking at Washington Post so they are not covering SNL. And now, a message from Amazon CEO Jeff Bezos.
0: Hi, everyone. As you know, Amazon just announced the location of its two new headquarters in New York and Virginia, and everyone, except for the people who live there and the people who live in all the places we didn't choose, is thrilled. Some folks have speculated that I was somehow trolling President Trump by building one headquarters in his hometown of Queens and the other in his current residence of Washington, D.C., thereby overshadowing or humiliating him. But that's simply not true. Sure, he attacked me repeatedly on Twitter, but I chose our new locations because they were ideal for growing business, not just to make Donald Trump think about how I'm literally a hundred times richer than he is. Uh,
1: But the next story. As we go on to the next one, uh, this is this is a very exciting uh, story out of the Washington Post, too, so I promise you I'm not making it up. Uh, headline reads, Woman says she married Khashoggi in ceremony kept secret from his fiancée and some of his family. So interestingly, after this journalist, who probably was murdered by the crown prince of Saudi Arabia, as he tried to obtain documents from the Turkish government, he was Saudi he was, owned facility. He
0: was he was getting wedding paperwork from the Saudi consulate in Turkey. Right. There you go. Then he got killed. He got he got choked out, which was an accidental murder. That was the accident part according to the Saudis. Accident kill accident chokeout. And then followed by an accidental cutting up of the body, followed by another accidental removal of the remains to an unknown location. A lot of accidents. Those things might have happened. We're not sure. We're not sure. He could also show up somewhere.
1: He's He's probably with Tupac. Could, could. So so an Egyptian woman says that she was actually married to the Saudi journalist in a religious ceremony in the United States in twenty eighteen, months before he was killed at the consulate in Turkey, while he was seeking the Perries, needed to marry a different woman.
0: Do we do we have photographs?
1: So we have this woman's name. No, right? but do we
0: have photographs of this this wedding? Who goes, who, who has a wedding and does not have a photographer?
1: So again, this woman is trying to only go by a first initial and last name because the Saudi government might go after her too. Right? Mm-hmm. They Wait, could.
0: I don't know why the Saudi government would care about his side piece, but she's not writing for the Washington Post. She's not writing bad shit about MBS in the Washington Post. She might. I'm gonna call. I'm gonna call shenanigans. I actually want this story to be true because it just makes it that much. More intriguing, and as we make light of a very gruesome murder, I'm making hard squinty face.
1: I would argue that Shogi might have been more of a coxman than a journalist.
0: Who, I like I like that narrative better. It's just more exciting. It'll be a better movie. I just don't know if we have the evidence yet because I need to see like a tweet or a or a or a photograph or something. A, a blue dress with a, with a white stain.
1: Just give Crown Prince MBS a call and ask him for the truth.
0: Yeah. MBS is in trouble these days. These, and he's, he's been telling President Trump the truth, so he's got to tell you the truth, too, right? <laughs> that's how that operates. That's true. That's true. All right. Well, I think that's going to that's gonna wrap up our, our headlines, so you guys are smarter about some things that maybe you wanted to know about, maybe you didn't. Now we're going to go into a little more depth on a fascinating story that I uncovered uh, recently by reading on the Internet. There was an LSD. I didn't even know people were still doing LSD, but okay, there was a drug ring. There was a drug ring, an LSD drug ring. But not like not like your classic drug ring, like, you know, somewhere in a neighborhood, in a city. No, 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 no. This is too good for that. This was a drug ring on the USS Ronald Reagan nuclear-powered aircraft carrier. And the best part is the drug ring was run by the guys. In charge of managing the nuclear reactor that powers the boat.
1: The snozberries taste like snozberries.
0: <laughs> if there was ever a group of people that I want tripping balls on LSD, it's the fucking guys in charge of the nukes. Not only that, not only that. So, so far, 14 sailors have been charged. That department that runs like the nuke, the power plant, essentially, right? All the stuff associated with it, that's a 400 person department. They're saying that there's going to be, there's way more to it. But my favorite part of this story is not only were they uh, charged with using and distributing LSD. (laughs) Electrician's mate nuclear second class Sean M. Javuro is also charged with distributing LSD and possessing nanodrolone decanonate, An anabolic steroid. So this guy is dropping LSD and then doing back squats.
1: Does anyone need the remote? Oh, my God. What the hell happened to Stewie? Yeah, looks good, doesn't he? Let's see that little dyke Susie Swanson
0: beat him up now. Wait a minute, how do you know she's gay? Short haircut, stubby legs, doesn't respond to my advances.
1: You haven't answered my question. Why the hell does Stewie look like this?
0: Well, I took him to
1: the gym, and the colorful gent there advised me that I put him on steroids. And you listen to him?
0: Yeah, I believe everything everyone tells me anywhere. Ah.
1: What else would you want to drop?
0: I mean, nothing. You're the nuke guy. Don't, 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 do don't do LSD while playing with nuclear material. I feel like that's a pretty, like... Reasonable expectation. The Fucking navy.
1: Hey, man, there's a Friday night and a Saturday night on ships too.
0: <laughs> they suspend flight ops so that everybody can just get a buzz on on the deck. Why not? I mean, honestly, that's not a terrible idea. So the so the interesting thing about this is, is after the
1: story came about about behavior on the USS Reagan, mm-hmm. right? Dear people money. in charge of nuclear weapon or nuclear propulsion, I should say.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, if you spend any time uh, on Google at all. You are reminded that this is not the first time that the US military and people touching Are you breaking news right now? Nuclear material might have behaved with LSD.
0: Are we are you is this a conspiracy?
1: So 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 we'll see. Let's dig into it a bit, okay? So so this the story that you're referencing on the Reagan occurred when?
0: The story broke November sixth. November six 2018. It doesn't cite the date of activity. All
1: right. So, so we got a, at this month yeah. in 2018. If you scroll back all the way to May 2018, so we're talking six months ago, short, short six months ago, uh, NPR reported Air Force uncovered LSD use among airmen guarding nuclear missiles. Shut up. Yeah. So uh, more than a dozen U.S. airmen were linked to a drug ring at a base that controls nuclear missiles. Uh, the investigators cracked a ring in 2016 after one what? of the service members made a mistake of posting drug-related material to social media. So while we're diving into this 2018 story, NPR references the same thing that happened two years prior to that. So in a two-and-a-half-year period, we have three.
0: We got it. Wait a second. Wait a second.
1: LSD-related LSD activities. Ring. And Why are all material? the nuke
0: people doing LSD right now? What can we get Mattis on this? Matt, Mad Dog needs to step out of the Pentagon for a minute and do a tour of the installations and in the in the ships and do some moto speeches to these young bucks uh, and and set them straight somehow. This is
1: crazy. So I would love to be able to explain the uh, the naval activity, but as a former Marine, I think I'm going to leave that on you. I can only look at the airmen that were doing this sort of thing and. Doing this LSD. Uh, they were stuck literally in ICBM silos out at F.E. Warren Air Force Base outside of Cheyenne, Wyoming. I assume there's yeah, not a whole right. lot That's of that kind activity of going fair. on there. So, explain what the Navy was doing on a ship in the
0: ocean. That's it. They were just floating around the fucking ocean, right? right waiting for something to happen. So, it's really not that different. You're in a floating silo, you could argue, above water. Uh, and especially the nuke guys, I'm sure the propulsion team is not exactly. Uh, hanging their heads out any windows, enjoying a nice breeze. They're well below deck, deep within the bowels of the ship. So as I talk out loud, maybe I'm a little less surprised, but I don't know, can we get these guys like some Jenga or something to entertain themselves with instead of LSD? We, we could, we could. So so again, this is from the NPR
1: story uh, that I referenced earlier. Uh, and in this suit also includes quotes from some service members who recalled having, quote, bad trips, and others who said their experiences had been positive <laughs> quote from airman kyle s morrison minutes felt like hours colors seemed more vibrant and clear in general i felt
0: more alive wow
1: hey man this was this guy was in charge of icbms
0: i feel like i feel like uh i feel like we should introduce this airman to that stolen valor guy and and the two of them can compare notes and that stolen Valor i can show them how to feel real alive Jesus. So, so six of the airmen
1: that I'm talking about were convicted of drug offenses in court martial. Uh, They were among 14 service members who then faced disciplinary measures over the investigation. So, six got caught up in the court martial. Eight others were involved, but uh, based upon the activity we've seen over two and a half years, I think if you shoot nukes or you operate a naval reactor or a nuclear reactor on a naval ship.
0: Odds are you're using LSD. You probably like LSD. The only thing I can think of is at least those guys down the bottom of the hole in the Air Force, like that's like going back in time. I mean, you've seen like the documentaries. They're using gigantic floppy disks. Of course, their drugs are going to be like drugs from the '60s and '70s that like match the equipment they're using. That I can get with the guys on the nuke. I mean, man, guys, get with the times. Take some ecstasy or something. Jesus, LSD. Anyway. There you go. Anyway i 'm not recommending that any of our service people use drugs, just to be very clear, but if you 're going to do it don 't take LSD when you 're near the nukes, Jesus Christ so all right well that's that 's our first short story of the night, I guess. Uh, now to dig into a meteor topic, the national defense strategy correct is it was yes was recently what you call it reviewed, sort of got red teamed
1: yeah so, so essentially what happened is in uh
0: Do you want to back up and explain what the NDS is? Right, right.
1: So in January of 2018, the National Defense Strategy was published by the U.S. Department of Defense. The National Defense Strategy essentially is a strategic context and objectives the military wants to accomplish. How the DOD is going to get those objectives done, and then it provides kind of high-level implementation guidelines and, and risk management. How do you get over the challenges that the Department of Defense will will face? Um, that NDS by the by the Department of Defense sits underneath the broader national security strategy. So the NSS is produced by the U.S. government by President Trump. Um, that was published in September well, we know 2017. he didn't write it. right? Right. <laughs> <laughs> that was from then-National uh, Security Advisor uh, McMaster. Um, but again, the NSS is from the U.S. government. Below that, the NDS, the National Defense Strategy, is just from the, the U.S. DOD. Um, and again, so Secretary Mattis published his NDS in uh, January 2018, and that effectively updated President Obama's strategy that last had been published in February 2015.
0: Is it, is it supposed to be—is the NDS supposed to be every two years I mean, I know that timing doesn't make out, but it's not every year, is it?
1: So it is supposed to be every year, yes. It is it? Yes. But again, as, as as you can see, from 2015 to 18, yeah. that was three yeah. years. So it's not every Yeah, year. yeah. Um, it's a pretty lengthy document. It's between generally 16 and 100 pages. A lot of that is kind of boilerplate stuff, consistent approaches used by DOD. So not a whole lot generally changes. But as you could expect, the difference between President Obama in 2015 and President Trump in 2018, there were big differences. Uh, the, the primary difference that emerged from this NDS was uh, Secretary Mattis labeling the reemergence of long-term strategic competition by revisionist powers as the primary threat.
0: Hey, look, and and, and politics aside, where, wherever you stand on the Trump spectrum, we'll just leave it at that, the world is radically different from a threats perspective today than it was three years ago.
1: And, and it is, and acknowledging that Russia and China are a threat. Exactly. Is something that has to happen, right? We would love to say that only Al-Qaeda is the threat to America on Earth.
0: Hey, look, and and there's an argument to be made that for a lot of that time that we were in in Afghanistan, in particular towards the end in Iraq, this sort of uh, competitive threat that existed from Russia and China was there, but we were— Less focused on it for obvious reasons, and now as we've sort of pulled our head out of the desert sands and looked up at the world and seen the strategic competition rising, you know, it's a it's a natural refocus.
1: Right, right. And the and the NDS, the strategic approach that was built by Secretary Mattis's document at, this year, uh, essentially says the the approach the U.S. will take uh, it will be built through deploying a more lethal force. One of Secretary Mattis's favorite things, strengthening alliances and attracting new partners. Something. President Trump doesn't always agree with, uh, and internal reformation to yield greater performance and affordability. So so the Pentagon has to do their stuff better. President Trump has to build some friends, and Secretary Mattis needs bigger guns. Mm-hmm. That's, that's essentially the summary. Um, the interesting thing that the the FY17, so last year's Authorization Act, the the spending bill for, for DOD, required is that Congress appoint a nonpartisan independent commission to review the National Defense Strategy, and essentially provide an assessment of it, and then recommendations for what more could be added or what answers still need to that's, be. Is that delivered. is that normal?
0: Do you know? No, not that's at all. not. Yeah, no. and what's interesting is, I mean, that's a Republican Congress that's putting that out there. So you could argue in a in a political vacuum, like, oh, the Democrats want to check the president, so they're going to review his NDS. But the Republicans did that. I don't even. I mean. Especially because the NDS comes out of the DOD, and that's Mattis's paper, right, Mattis's pen. It's kind of curious. I don't have an answer. It's curious that Congress would have asked that question.
1: Yeah, so I think in, in FY17, the, the cause of that was the person leading the Senate Armed Services Committee at the time was uh, the late uh, Senator McCain, mm. who wasn't really he wasn't a keen. believer of yeah. President Trump at the time, who ultimately became President Trump. So I think the requirement was levied on either Clinton, Sure or Trump, whoever won, I need an independent review of their national military strategy, right. courtesy of, right. uh, of Senator McCain. Um, so, uh, this again, this independent kind of bipartisan commission uh, produced a report this week uh, that's titled Providing for the Common Defense, the Assessment and Recommendations of the National Defense Strategy. And it was co-chaired by Eric Edelman and Gary Ruffhead. And then it has a list of uh, 10 kind of co-authors um, everyone from Jack Keane, Kathleen Hicks, to former Senator Kyle, to former uh, CIA Director Michael Morrell. Um, Interim so again, Director. A, a very diverse set of folks that have very lengthy public careers operating in this space.
0: Right. So what's the general takeaway here?
1: So the general takeaway is, is a very curious kind of uh, multi-sentence summary, right? They, they provide a front that kind of hits at... All the things that are probably wrong with the national defense strategy, as, as it might do some great things, there's some gray areas and some deficiencies that it has. So so from the, the start of the document, from this commission, it reads, The security and well-being of the U.S. are at greater risk than at any time in decades. America's military superiority, the hard power backbone of its global influence and national security, has eroded to a dangerous degree. Rivals and adversaries are challenging the U.S. on many fronts and in many domains. America's ability to defend it, its allies, its partners, and its own vital interest is increasingly in doubt. If the nation does not act promptly to remedy those these circumstances, the consequences will be grave and lasting. Ooh. Deep. So essentially, we're at risk. We're we haven't done shit. Our enemies have They've been very busy over the past decade, while we've been focused exclusively yeah. on yeah. the Middle East. And if we don't do something to address this challenge that we've created for ourselves through both foreign operations in the Middle East and then also Congress's approach to cutting the budget through sequestration, yeah. we could lose a war. I mean,
0: that's one of the that's one of these things that's never really talked about. Is I don't want to say it's never talked about. I don't think it's talked about enough. It's not talked about in a plain English manner, perhaps, but the failure to regularly pass a defense budget i mean shit a budget but a defense budget i mean imagine running a business and having no idea like no idea what your next year's business was going to be how are you going to how are you going to invest in new equipment like how are you going to repair the roof on your factory like if you have no clue who's going to buy every year you're starting at zero or like flatlining potentially it makes it really tough to make decisions and more importantly to do the reform that that secretary Mattis is talking about. There is a strong argument in my view. And I say this from just a guy who pays attention a little bit, but it's not like the answer is only, Hey, raise the budget. I think there is a lot of reform that can be done smartly, but in the interim, you got to give some meat on the bone and a consistent basis to do both things at the same time. Um, we like to think that the United States government can do everything and, you know, we can solve all these problems by just having the government do it. And DOD is arguably the most unruly bureaucracy of them all. Uh and this is just getting to be a little out of hand when you have a, a military that spent 17 years fighting wars, low intensity conflicts in the Middle East and you know Central Asia, and now we're having to worry about the South China Sea. Russia, to me, is a threat. Sure, I mean, I'm, there's people who know this more, far better, but it's really in my mind like China. China is the real kinetic. Question. There is an escalation path on that. The Russians, it's like, okay, somebody does something and boom, it's nukes because there's no conventional threat.
1: Right. One of the things that this commission highlights is not that the U.S. has not spent a lot of money on its military over the past 15, 17 years, um, as Zach said. But that the the utilization of that money in a conflict with either Russia or China in the future is wildly inappropriate, right? I mean, we were looking at the the number of armored vehicles that the U.S. has versus Russia. And in the Cold War, Russia had way more armored vehicles. We couldn't fight a land war with Russia Across Europe right. in the Cold War. So the response was literally nuclear weapons. Nukes right? and the Apaches. That's, that's why the Apache is a tank killer. Uh, right. And, and now, today, after the U.S. has been fighting wars in the Middle East for the past 17 years, we have almost effectively caught up to or surpassed in terms of capability the U.S. armored fleet, armored vehicle fleet right. versus Russia. Right. So all of a sudden we can fight a land war with China. That's great. But China. Russia has made the investments so that we are not ever going to fight a land war right. against Well, Well,
0: I think those numbers are also a little misleading because I bet you they're counting MRAPs and MAP as armored vehicles. Like, yes, technically they're armored, but that's not a BMP, right? right. Like, right. Uh, we're still going to lose that. We're still going to lose that. But I think more to your point, right, that it, when you look at the military that we field currently and that we fielded when I was in, that was the military that was essentially constructed to fight the Russians. Right right? That's what that military was. That's right. the desert storm military. So GPS guided bombs, all that shit from 91 through 2001 on to 2017, it was highly refined, but it wasn't massively changed. The massive change was that sort of networked warfare that we saw for the first time in desert storm. And then we refined it continuously added more networks, added more layers started at like stealth was in 91. So we've, we've just refined, this is like military 4.5. The problem is while we were refining 4.5, the Chinese and the Russian are watching. Russians are watching this, going, "Well, we're not going to try and build the same thing. I'm not going to try and build a network to fight your network. I'm going to build weapons that attack your network. I'm going to build hypersonics that go through your your air defenses." We pick our head up after fighting in the desert. We're like, "Holy shit!" The our our new strategic, uh, you know, threats, if you will, are now building around this this method of warfare that we have been demonstrating to the world on television in public for 15, 17 years. And we now need to build something that can react to, you know, what they're building. This kind of one-upsmanship.
1: And the first thing this commission points out is that, is that Congress effectively set DoD's budget as a hostage, right? They created this threat of sequestration. Both sides said it'll never happen. And lo and behold, oopsie, it happened. Right. So, so all of a sudden we, we, We have to address the challenges that the U.S. placed upon itself. The next thing it points out is that even as DOD R&D has increased over the past decade and a half, China's levels of R&D have approached almost u.s levels in terms of military r&d they are not quite at u.s levels but their spending on r&d over the past decade has increased exponentially Shit, if
0: you go dollar to dollar even at the cost the cost equation isn't the same a dollar there buys way more than a dollar here
1: so fortunately i know you're saying that the the data i'm looking at is all adjusted for purchasing power. it is dairy. okay yeah
0: so it is okay so fine so we're apples to apples right even with apples to apples, the other stuff that you're reading is that the relationship, for example, between commercial innovation in, in China and the relationship between commercial innovation in the United States, uh, let's just say there is there is a relationship there. There is not a relationship here. So
1: Right. China was able to get good because of commercial innovation that was all done over there or built over there. And even there, if they... Look,
0: they stole it. Fine. They st- Look, the Chinese hacked the shit out of everything. Look at their stealth fighter. It looks right. like right. an F-22. But nonetheless, the, the commercial sector either works with the government out of a desire or... One of the beauties of an authoritarian system, you can just point at them and say, you will do this. And so they've really been able to sort of leverage that one billion person population.
1: Right. So as as that China R&D expenditure has increased exponentially over the past decade, the thing that the U.S. has not been doing is building any or, or, or addressing modernization, right, building mm-hmm. new weapons that can be used to fight China primarily mm-hmm. in the Pacific or across the Pacific. And because of that shortfall or that those things that we have not invested in and have not built and have not developed, we essentially have a modernization shortfall. So not only do we need an increasing budget, but we have to make up for the past decade right. of things that we haven't spent on right. that we should have spent on right. yeah, for no, we're the next adversary that we're we behind. will face.
0: And I think you can even go a step further than just hardware. I mean, I don't think, uh, look at the way we fight, right? So when I was in, you'd go to 29 Palms which is the Marine Corps, you know, number 1 training ground, huge sprawling thousands of acres in the middle of the desert, you can shoot in a million directions, great place to go train. The whole place was predicated on counterinsurgency, right? You had ranges for live fire where you worked weapon systems and that's great, but then you had the sort of the towns that were built up for you to practice patrolling, counterIEDs, IEDs, ambushes, you know, everything. And that all assumed that like your OP was secure. Right, you had towers on your OP, and you would do some defense and depth uh, patrolling. But there was never really a threat like, "Uh oh, a Chinese MiG is going to come streaking over and drop their version of a JDAM on us." That was not a threat. Um, and to that end, Neller, the current Commandant of the Marine Corps, has you know been one of the more outspoken uh, people on these topics. Is now pushing, and that is pretty cool. Um, I don't know how it's going to work, but pushing to bring in allied militaries to do force on force like, live battles, right? I don't know, laser tag style. I don't know what the gear is they're using to do this now, but he wants to bring in Royal Marines, bring them out to 29 Palms and go force on force, like, as full spectrum as they can go, EW, you know, I indirect fires, air support, armor, force people to be like, hey, you have to move your command post. You just put it up, you got to break it down because the lines collapsed over here on the flank. Like, this type of stuff that was happening in World War II, that, I mean, Korea was the last time we did that. So tell me if I'm wrong. So,
1: so force on force training... You did that
0: internally in the Marine Corps, right? Well, you did it, but what you did was, well, shit. When you went to 29 Palms, you did force on contractors. So you'd go contract a bunch of people to play insurgents and to be like just townspeople, and you'd walk around and there'd be contractors who scripted ambushes and assaults. But you wouldn't be, other than like the basic school or like very basic training, we never did prior to deployments any like first platoon versus second platoon. No, no like conventional. Fighting.
1: Oh, right. I mean, the training is very much this walk-through routine where, yes, you are learning stuff and going to, to practice, but you're never actually in a combat-simulated environment, so to speak, right? So, you, you
0: were, but only in a coin-combat-simulated environment.
1: Okay. So so, so if, if as, as the Admiral has asked for, right, or Neller has
0: asked for, excuse me, has
1: asked that it needs to be Brits versus Americans, would that provide a better training environment for the Marines in 29 Palms?
0: Certainly, if the if the threat's Chinese, more realistic, more more realistic. I can't compare. I I have a feeling the Royal Marines have a very very glorious history of just slaying on the battlefield. So I would argue that they're probably better fighters than the Chinese it's man. Good, to man, it's, all right. So right. It's, it's a good practice, right? It's a good, it's a good yeah. practice run. Uh, practice tactics. The you know, I don't know. And then the, we have to fight J. Right. The, the Chinese haven't fought since they fought the Vietnamese in like 1979. So I don't know what their TTPs are right now. But the the, the principles of combined, you know, air ground combat are reasonably well established and that's the skill set at least for the marine corps in particular that was the bread and butter and i know like for example if you were if you were going through IOC the infantry officers course that that culminating exercise that you would do out at 29 Palms was a combined arms air ground like classic engagement mortars you know uh aircraft tanks the whole thing so you could get that taste and that's the core of of what it was but then you'd get to the fleet and you'd start training and it would go straight to coin. And so you guys, you know, my generation of Marines only ever, we I, I was bred on coin when I was in boot camp. I got to the fleet. I trained on coin. I deployed. I only served in a coin environment and I got out. So there is a generation of Marines who most of these guys I feel like and girls are probably out now. There's a lot of turnover, but... That combat experience is in a totally different realm, totally different equipment, totally different skill set, and that's driving largely a function of, like you said, that that shortfall in equipment and, and modernization.
1: And, and given that trading environment that you're outlining, that you personally experienced, the the thing that this this national defense strategy essentially alters is is now saying or acknowledging that violent extremist organization or jihadism or terrorism is not the primary threat to America. It is these nation states, these near peer adversaries. It is. China and Russia, and we need to start building our military from an industry perspective. We need to start training our soldiers, sailors, sailors airmen, and marine
0: to fight a totally
1: different adversary than, than you have yeah. experienced I also think we fighting need put, and training to
0: fight. We need to put bomb shelters back in the cities like during the Cold War, and we need to start <laughs> huddling under our desks during— uh during, like, fire alarms, just so to this, make sure we in, get the skills this, down.
1: This independent commission essentially came back with a summary of recommendations. Kind of, a, a, as, as Zach and I read through it, the the kind of things that they recommended to improve the U.S. capability is to have or f- create a structure for the national security innovation base. So so the DoD should broaden its efforts to find and incorporate new technology from commercial, right? Commercial Technology companies are infinitely more advanced than defense firms now, so we have to take advantage of that internally. Uh, the next is force priorities and readiness. Uh, we have to deploy more people overseas to more places. We need a larger force structure in general. We need to create that new cyber policy, which just came out, and we need a renewed nuclear deterrence, right? This is I'm the a little nervous. The nuke
0: guys right now are not exactly making me feel confident. True, competent. true. As long as we get them off <laughs> Can OSD, we put an asterisk? We can a, give them new nukes. Renewed nukes with, like... Better drug testing. Uh, the next is, uh,
1: the recommendation is 3 to 5% annual growth. Um, and the, the co-authors of this commission say that I know that sounds like a ton, 3 to 5% annual growth rate. Uh, the guy writing it stands up and says that, hey, if, uh, if we need to personally increase my taxes, I'm willing to do that but I to address a long term fiscal challenge no, go entitlements that. and taxes also must be reviewed right they totally. will they will crowd out not only defense but everything else our us government spends money on unless we look at entitlements and taxes simultaneously right yeah look the us budget
0: on. in general is a national security issue there's right. no there is no doubt about so that so we
1: have to have a long term approach to that fiscal 100%, 100%. challenge and 100%. the last recommendation that this this uh, commission makes is to develop a whole government approach to competition right we cannot only fight russia and china only in the military realm. Uh, we need a kind of a holistic approach that includes everything from trade policy to, to education to diplomatic statecraft uh, to be able to fight them you know what we need to do. fronts.
0: I mean, this is very on PC, but it's what we need to do. We need to stop hating each other, and we need to start hating the Russians and the Chinese. well why
1: can't we all get along? Well, because for- th-
0: when we all get along, then we turn on each other, right? Like, we came back from Iraq and Afghanistan. Things were good, so we started just going nuts. So we need to, we need to get angry at people on the other sides of the pond.
1: And so again, this this was kind of our review of the assessment and recommendation that uh, Congress required an independent commission to review the national defense strategy of the Trump administration. Um, so again, there's there's many things changing in that national defense strategy, the approach the U.S. government taking to its military and its collective strategy globally. Yeah. Um, so, so on a better path than we probably were three years ago when this last game. Hey, out. at least we're talking
0: about it. But still, it's a big steps ship to turn. To be taken. It's a big ship that needs to be turned. And the answer is not necessarily buying more joint strike fighters at 110 million dollars a pop and f- with software failures, right? If if you can make, if the Chinese can make, you know, a Mig at 20 million and field five Migs for every one joint strike fighter. Uh, the the economies on the the economics on that are, are pretty scary um, and and don't necessarily hold up in a conflict that would be highly uh, a lot of attrition a lot of manpower and equipment attrition so we'll see smarter people than Dylan and I are maybe working the problem the classic Washington they're talking about the problem so you know hopefully somebody in, in a basement somewhere with Glasses on is doing something There's about the it. There's the answer somewhere. Yeah. All right. So that was our big topic in a section of the podcast that we have to name at some point. But uh, now we're going to go on to an oldie and a real fam- a favorite one of ours. It's called Oopsie or Uh-Oh. Oopsie or Uh-Oh. And the basic premise of this is, you know, we have a situation or a story or an anecdote about something that happened in the real world. And we, we try and gauge whether or not it was an oopsie or if it was an Uh-Oh. And the typical, for, for me, I think of an Uh-Oh as a bigger a bigger deal, life, life limb kind of risk.
1: All right, well, here's number one. You give me the answer. Oopsie or uh-oh. Mm. Russia's only aircraft carrier, the Admiral Kuznetsov, was damaged when the dry dock where it was undergoing a refit sank, sending a giant crane crashing onto the ship, causing a gash in the deck of up to four meters by five meters.
0: I don't speak metric system. Can you convert that, please? 16 feet. Ish. Ish. Okay. That was pretty good metric conversion. No problem. Um, I'm torn on this because if your country only has one aircraft carrier and you drop a crane through the, through the flight deck, there's kind of an uh-oh approach that's like my knee jerk. Um, but this fucking thing is either always on fire or with a hole in the deck. So to my mind, it's sort of just an oopsie. It's just this thing doesn't actually sail or ever fight. So it's not even like they have an aircraft carrier. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a what should be an uh-oh. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to downgrade it to an oopsie.
1: Okay. All right. Next next one up. Uh, so, this was a story from October. So, just about 30 days ago. So, still still near term. Um, F-16 actually blown up by Belgian Air Force mechanic. Oopsie or uh-oh.
0: Well, I'm going to flesh this out. So, he got in the cockpit on the ground, somehow hit the machine gun launch trigger button and shot a bunch of machine gun rounds, I don't even know, huge, these things must be huge rounds, across the runway into another parked F-16. Is that accurate?
1: Yeah, so the 20-millimeter rounds.
0: 20, oh, <laughs> some big old bullets right there. Uh, oh, I mean, that's got to be an uh-oh. Where, you, where do you fall on this?
1: So just like you gave the Russians a little bit of a reprieve yeah. for maybe crashing a crane on their only aircraft carrier, I can't imagine that there's not U.S. airmen mechanics that get inside of an F-16. You think an, you think an American did that? No, I don't think an American did it. But I can't imagine there, there is not American airmen that get inside these F-16 for maintenance and see that trigger button and think of all the video games they played and just see themselves squeezing that trigger. I mean, I guess, but like, dude. So again, if this gentleman just pulled the trigger Why? And, these well, 20, a qu- and, the, and these 20 millimeter rounds hit something, a car, a building, space i'm i don't my, care. my question on this the fact is there just happened to be another f-16 sitting right in front of the f-16 <laughs> yeah the, was...
0: the, the fact that he struck an f-16 i, I accept but i'm curious it's like what the safety protocols are for like a loaded aircraft on the runway i just think of like how anal retentive the marine corps was with nine millimeters right and like negligent di- like that's a negligent discharge that's what that is in the marine corps you you nd a nine mil, you can kiss your you can kiss your shit goodbye. So, so and some it, guy ended a fucking F sixteen in Belgium.
1: So the negligent discharge does it acknowledge between negligent discharge of a five five six and a twenty millimeter round? No, or is it the same thing? It's the same thing, really. Technically, so, so, the, so that negligent negligent discharge of a five five six is not even remotely worth it.
0: No, if you are going to go out, go out with the twenty millimeter. There is <laughs> yeah. no there is no, no question. <laughs> but the Marine Corps has all sorts of like rules and little ditties they teach you like for weapon safety to the Belgians just like, I mean, do they,
1: how, I, I, I truly think this individual probably saw the trigger button. It was his opportunity. He was not a pilot.
0: He would never get to want it I mean, who yeah, he knows? Pulled it. That's a pretty wild story though. Just shit. <laughs> <laughs> That's crazy. All right. The last one of the night to wrap it up. I stumbled on this, uh, the other day, this one, I almost missed it. I, I read the headline and then I, I closed it and then I, I reopened it. I was like, wait a second. Did I read what I just thought I read? Um, the Japanese cybersecurity minister has just admitted that he's never used a computer.
1: Did you find the files? I don't even know what they look. What do they look like? They're in the computer. They're in the computer? Yeah, they're definitely in there. I just don't know how he labeled them. I got it. You gotta figure it out.
0: Roger. In the computer. It's so simple this kind of cuts in two directions. I I read a hot take on this that was, that was saying that, Hey, he has no digital fingerprints. That's pretty smart. So like, okay, all right, that's one take. But when you really think about it, obviously you need your cybersecurity guy to like know something about computers. And in Japan, no less, these guys are like big on the ones and zeros. Dylan, is this an oopsie or not? Oh, I
1: I don't think it's either. What? I truly don't. I truly don't. The fact that the guy that was leading an organization that didn't personally touch a computer is not a problem to me. Right. I mean, that's like, so, so here's a great example, right? what was a leader that you ever knew in the
0: Marine Corps? Did all of them kill people professionally as a young Marine? They, they had all been trained and come up through my ranks. So trained, they would have trained. never said, hey, I've never... This guy didn't say, I don't use a computer. This guy said, I've never touched one. That will be like a commander in the Marine Corps get, saying, I never touched a hold rifle. Hold on. But all the
1: one-stars, when you grew up, undoubtedly had not been to conflict yet before 9-11 happened,
0: right? What yes, accurate.
1: Okay, so just because they had not been there and physically pulled that trigger and killed an enemy the, the, your the analogy breaks down they were not they were not bad
0: Pull at the their trigger. jobs all those guys all those generals pulled the trigger maybe they didn't shoot at a person but they pulled the trigger and they knew how a rifle worked this yeah, guy I, listen, this guy didn't listen, know what a USB listen, was listen, hold on i've pulled a trigger many many times. times
1: i've never killed anyone right so those two things are fundamentally different tasks You're stretching. i would argue that the individual this So individual here's a question all right fine do you think do you think
0: that the head of cybersecurity should know what a USB is you're a fucking idiot. No, you don't think he needs to OD- know. How is he going to have cyber policy? As
1: long as he's a good leader. As long
0: you as know, one of the things deputy? that's important about being a leader competence. I listen. Uh, uh. He could be a good leader. He could, no. He's incompetent. Listen. So so like so so a band director.
1: Are you sure those people are good at playing instruments, or are they just good at reading and
0: directing music? They at least have competence in some form of the. Uh, they know music. They can read music. I guarantee you, they've played instruments. Maybe they're not the best instruments. Like being an NFL coach, you don't maybe, need to be the best football player to be the best this coach. this guy in
1: Japan was a big policy guy. He knew what the rules in Japan. But he doesn't rules. even know his. Po-
0: oh my god! This thing has gone off the rails. You totally. This is an uh oh. You are fired. You cannot have your cybersecurity guy say that he's never touched a computer and doesn't know what a USB is. Sorry, no. Nope. It can't have
1: it. No digital footprint. Good approach, sir. Good approach. Sir. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no digital footprint. All right. Well, that wraps up the uh, the first ever episode of OFP. We hope you've enjoyed it. Um, we don't really have any Twitter or Facebook yet, so if you want to reach out and comment, uh, just uh, tweet at Lima Charlie News and throw a hashtag OFP on there, and uh, we'll get to see what you guys have to say. If you think we suck, uh, we don't care. Um, So that's all right. Keep that stuff to yourself. That's all we have for tonight. Thanks for listening. Lima Charlie, loud and clear. You're listening to Lima Charlie News.